Hi, I'm Susan Freeman. Welcome back to our Property She podcast series where I get to interview some of the key influencers in the amazing world of real estate. One of the trends has been the rise and rise of flexible workspace. And today I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Charlie Green, the co-CEO of the Office Group, also known as TOG, which he co-founded in 2003 with his partner, Ollie Olson. TOG were one of the pioneers of the shared workspace revolution in this country. When they launched in 2003, the global economy was just beginning to be radically reshaped by new technology and new ideas. Their aim was to reconfigure the modern British workplace to bring it into line with a very fast-changing world. Their brand of social workspace was a great success and in 2010, Sir Lloyd Dorfman, the founder of Travelex, funded a management buyout. Seven years later, Blackstone, the largest real estate private equity firm in the world, acquired a majority stake in the office group for £500 million. Today, TOG has almost 20,000 members working across more than 40 buildings, mostly in London, and it has funding to grow the business. Now we get a chance to hear from Charlie Green about the exciting TOG journey to date and how he sees the workplace evolving. Charlie, thank you for joining me today. You trained as a surveyor, I believe. You worked uh, in a property company before you started the office group. When you started um, the company in 2003, did you see yourself as a disruptor? because, uh, you know, the plan was to create a different type of um, work environment. I don't think I saw myself as a disruptor, because, and it's a word that, that's sort of used quite heavily today as we see lots of new entrants into various markets. Um, for me, disruption has a more of a negative connotation. So we, we didn't see, and I set the company up with Ollie Olson, and we very much had a shared vision of what it was that we wanted to create. And we did want a challenge. It was very important to us to be doing something very different to what was on offer uh, in the market at the time. And we both worked for a serviced office business. It was a property company that had a serviced office arm. So we both worked on that. I was on the sort of the growth of that business on the acquisitions. Ollie was on the revenue and operations side. And we both looked at it. And really, it was a very corporate, very dry, very vanilla offer that was expensive. So by its very nature, it was short term because people did not want to stay. And there was this sort of philosophy, and I think it was shared with some other operators, you know, who were prevalent at the time and still around. So maybe names are probably not appropriate. But the philosophy was, we've led an office to somebody for nine months. Now that we have them, let's make as much money as we can out of them because they're going to move out in nine months time. And Ollie and I looked at it and we thought, that's sort of a really daft way to approach business. What if you created a product that was actually so good because you'd really considered the design and you priced it right so that actually it was value what if you did that our philosophy was we've led an office for nine months what do we do to make someone stay and i think that that attitude was a was a challenging attitude in the market at the time and you know a lot of it was saying you know we're in it for the long term we're not about greed we're not trying to chase a quick buck and could we create something that was stand out from everybody else in terms of its execution, how it looked, how it felt, and what that experience was? Yeah, I mean, it was really important to us to be to be different and not follow what other people were doing. That was just a sort of a gut 
driver for for the two of us. And I think it's, it's still very much what drives us today. We still, we've obviously grown the business, but we still want to be that challenger brand in the market. Now, it's interesting because um, if you think back to 2003, the concept of customer service just didn't really exist in the um, in the real estate sector. So if you were thinking about you know, a customer, what might encourage them to stay? You were quite ahead of your time. Well, I think we we drew inspiration. I remember sort of going to so the the company I worked for had uh, actually whilst it had a very dry serviced office brand, it had the Malmaison Hotel chain as well, which was really quite ahead of its time. And I remember going to uh, one of the hotels, and instead of "Do not disturb" on on the door, it had a notice which said uh, "Leave me alone." And I just thought that that kind of said an awful lot about brand to me and experience. And so we took inspiration from private members clubs, uh, hotels, restaurants, and really we didn't take any inspiration from the real estate world whatsoever. The only developer that that we thought was incredible, and we still do, is Derwent, because they were so driven by design and every building that they really considered what they were creating when they were, when they're, and they still do, uh, when they're building their, their office spaces, that that was, that was as kind of setting a tone for us in terms of what we wanted to achieve and how we approached every building and every building being different and being design-led. So actually keeping the design concept going, making sure that um, every building is, is different, which in fact you do, must be quite challenging because um, you're thinking the whole time, you know, how can this building be different from the other one? How do you do that? Yeah, it's really challenging. I mean, it's, it's really hard and you have to, you know, it's a creative process and we dive into it. And, you know, in that design process, Ollie and I remain very, very involved in it. Look, your starting point is the bricks and mortar. So we, we consider ourselves to be a real estate business. We may own a chunk of our portfolio and we lease a chunk of our portfolio and we manage some and JV. But, you know, the reality is that our approach to real estate is from a real estate background. Ollie also comes from a, a real estate kind of family growing up and working in the industry. And that, I think, allows us to to understand what we're trying to deliver. And You know, real estate really means understanding yeah of course location but it's also understanding architecture and it's understanding context and neighborhoods and audiences and people and and i think that's what makes up all of the elements that start to inform how we approach buildings but it's really yeah it's really hard and when you're scaling up and growing and we're growing now quicker than we have done before not at a ridiculous pace it's controlled and it's disciplined and it's that's important for us but Nevertheless, you know, you have to be fresh and we work with some brilliant architects. That's really important to come up with a kind of work with us on concept. Um, but, you know, it's also part of the fun of it, too. It's a fun process to start with a blank sheet of paper every time and come up with something that we believe is going to work. I saw that um, Tog had recently designed an office chair obviously very well well designed designed i think with an architect and i wondered whether this was the beginning of a tog lifestyle or whether this is a one-off uh oh, i mean it's tempting the the chair came about because we couldn't find a really good looking meeting room chair that was stackable it's really frustrating the, the chairs that you do get are just pretty horrible to look at and not particularly comfortable but you can stack them 15 high so um we collaborated with menu and Norm Architects, when you're a, a manufacturer, Norm Architects, who are a um, Danish firm and brilliant, brilliant practice, and we're working with them on one of our buildings. And it was led by a head of interior design, and, and 
we've come up with this chair that you know is not ours it's not exclusively for us it's it's available for everyone to purchase but it's we're very proud of it are we going to go into that kind of you know soho house have got their soho home yeah that's not on the radar for us we're we're focused on what we're doing okay okay so um it solved it solved a problem for us but it's not going to okay, be so i don't think it's going to take us down so a i shouldn't route. wait for a tog clothing line <laughs> no no there are tog hats if you want one I'll oh, get okay you one. okay that, that would be that would be good so blackstone bought into the business in 2017 and um they are very large they um they have 120 billion dollars of assets under management globally so with that firepower behind you, presumably there are expansion plans. What's what's on the horizon? Yeah, I think the decision to... So we started the business with private equity. Um, and then in 2010, we had a high net worth individual buy out the private equity. That's Lloyd Dorfman, or Sir Lloyd Dorfman. And really, it was Ollie's call. And he, he, he said to, to Lloyd and I, Lloyd and me, that the market's changing we all knew this and new entrants are coming and well-funded operators are going to break into this market we should be positioning ourselves to make sure that we are well set for the future that is a defensive proposition and it's a it's a plan for growth as well we were very lucky you know we went to the market we went through a bid process and we ended up with blackstone and they are just an extraordinary organization to be a part of they are very much aware that we are good at what we do and they leave us to get on with our business but they are incredibly supportive on many levels and and I think having that 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 backing and that capacity for growth puts us in a really strong position the one thing about them is that you know Ollie and I have always been very disciplined and focused on making sure we get the right buildings we won't take a building just for the sake of growing and you know fortunately Blackstone share that approach it would be a difficult relationship, I think, if they were forcing us to take buildings that we didn't believe in and we didn't believe would work. And we're not trying to chase. There's, there's some very rapid growth from some of our competition. If you look at, you know, obviously WeWork's global expansion, but also, you know, extraordinary growth in London. Spaces as well, I think, are in uh, 37 or 38 different countries. They opened 100 buildings last year. That's incredible. But it's not what we're after. We're not chasing that we're doing our thing we're trying to create our business and grow our business but in the face of extreme competition in a sector that is has is enjoying rapid growth and one of the reasons it's enjoying growth is because the demand for what we do and others do is is significantly growing and so there's a there's a natural meeting of supply and demand as, as you examine the economics of that and we need to be well positioned to be able to grow in the way we want to and to be able to make sure that we're not uh you know there's some aggressive pricing by some of the competition out there and and we can weather those storms and that's absolutely fine and i think it also you know depending on where we see this year and next year the direction of kind of or or the impact of macro political economic effects is going to be very interesting you know how do we position ourselves as a business to to deal with those challenges and I think with Blackstone behind us, um, we're very fortunate. We're well set. You mentioned the supply and demand question. Uh, I read uh, something a couple of days ago about China. Apparently, the um, flexible 
workspace market. 40 companies have mysteriously disappeared over the last eight months and and they seem to have oversupplied. So uh, I don't know if you've looked at the Chinese market, but it, it it sounded a little bit strange. We haven't looked at it, fortunately, then, by the sounds of things. We, uh, I think, you know, where are our strengths and, and how we set up as a business? And, and certainly, we're continuing to grow in London. That's that's a city that, you know, this city is incredible. You know, again, we think that, you know, it has real longevity and real scope for growth. Um and we're going to we're going to grow in the regions in the UK as well. Now we're we we are we have two outside of London, but we're going to add to those, and then we're going to start to grow in a meaningful way in Europe. I think beyond that, we probably it's sort of one step at a time, and we have we've looked at New York thoroughly. We've researched the market, and we I think we have a good understanding of it. It's an exceptional opportunity that market. The Really, it's 450 million square feet compared to something like 230 million square feet in London of of office space. And the the flexible shared sector is a a smaller percentage in New York than it is in London. So the opportunity for growth in New York is really significant, but it's an expensive market to enter. And I think you have to be very careful. You have to time these right. If we start taking leases, paying rents that are just too heavy, that may actually, in a market that may soften, that's going to that's going to be very challenging moving forward, and we have to be careful. We don't want to be the fools who sort of entered the market at the wrong time. And we're also seeing newcomers come into London and doing exactly that, actually, taking you know what we believe to be buildings that they shouldn't necessarily be taking. We might be wrong. They have their reasons for taking them. But, you know, at top rents, this is a hot market right now. And in some ways, you know, our sector is propping up the market in, in its own way because, you know, we, we're experiencing real competitive tension when we're bidding for buildings uh, on a leasehold basis. So we don't want to be taking the wrong buildings at the wrong rents. We'd rather wait, watch and, and see how these markets play out. But, you know, we have such knowledge of London and the UK that, that we're confident with that. And Europe is geographically the obvious and most straightforward market to, to tackle. In addition to the new entrants, we now have the property uh, REITs um, and other other landlords actually um, developing their own flexible workspace. What what do you make of that? Do you see yourself partnering with um, with property companies, or will you each go your own way? So I think the, the traditional real estate market has not, has understood that they need that there is a shift in how people are working, what people want from their real estate, and that's that that learning has been happening over the last couple of years. So then. The big question for them is how do they address that? They can do at least to us or WeWork or Spaces or others, and, and, and that's one route to access the market, but it doesn't really give them an access to the market. It's just a straightforward arm's-length lease. But the real lessons that I think are being learned from real estate is that it's no longer a landlord's market. We, I think we used to have landlord and tenant markets. I've talked about this before, and sort of depending on the cycle, you'd be in one or the other. I do think that's changed. I do think that those cycles are sort of really gone for the moment and that we're looking at a shift in power from the landlord who traditionally has held most of the 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 power in the relationship between owner and occupier it's now moved to the occupier technology has empowered the occupiers in a way where they are the ones who are so much better informed than they've ever been before their access to knowledge and their their ability to understand that they can work in a different way means their choice is much greater than they've ever had before therefore if you are a provider of 
real estate. And this is actually affecting kind of retail and it's affecting residential as well. But, you know, in our sector, if you're providing office space and you're not delivering on the needs and wants of the occupier, then you will not be able to fill your buildings. And those are about flexibility for sure. It's about design, definitely. It's a layer of service and the space of a, as a service is, is such an important message for owners to understand. And the range of facilities and all, all, of those, all of those good things that come with it. And in many ways, the co-working sector, which I, when I talk about co-working, I view it as that sort of, that real extreme of the market where you, and we have co-working in our portfolio, but it represents a very small part of what we do. It's a very important part. And it's about kind of that open plan working that fosters collaboration, that, that allows people to work in that open environment. And in many ways, you know, what co-working has done is, has really been the clearest expression of the change in how everybody wants to work. That has to affect every owner of an office building. And they have to understand that now they have to engage with an occupier. They have to have a relationship. They can no longer hide behind a, a managing agent or, or a broker. They have to have visibility. They can't be absent. They have to understand that those tenants, those occupiers, need a level of flexibility. That might be in lease length, but you're still going to see, of course, 10, 15-year terms to the larger corporates. But how those larger corporates use space, they will be more efficient with how they use that space. So they will take perhaps less core space and they'll bolt on this stretch element to what they do when they'll dip into flex, they'll dip into co-working, they'll use other people's meeting and conferencing. And so it starts to become this really interesting, much more fluid offer that's available to every single occupier. And if every single occupier is wanting to work in this way, so it is degrees, right? We know that there's still going to be those long leases and then you're going to get the startups and the scale-ups who are more fluid. So it's degrees. But every if every occupier is changing how they see their space needs and what they need from that space and the experience they get and how they use it as a tool to attract talent and how they can collaborate and meet other people, all these incredible things that do happen and are very real, then every owner of an office asset has to start to address them. Now, they will do it in different ways. So you'll see that some will create their own brand, and Bridgeland obviously have Story, and uh, Lansek of just this week or last week, um, or a few weeks ago, depending on when this podcast goes out, but the they've just launched Mayo, and that's a response to the market. I, I have to say at this point um, that... Um not many people remember this, but in 2003, uh, Land Securities actually launched something called Landflex, which was one of the early serviced offices offering. So you could say that they were ahead. Of, it was about the same time you were starting um, the office group. Yeah, well, yeah, it was. And I remember it, actually. And, uh, you know, I remember they had a building, I think it was in Ealing. And actually, they ended up letting it to the, I could be wrong, but the Metropolitan Police. Um, and it didn't... <sighs> The thing about this sector is you have to commit to it. That's a kind of that's a financial commitment, that's a resource commitment, that's an emotional commitment in many ways. And Landflex, I think probably at, it, at the time was a bit more of an experiment, and it was probably ahead of its time. So it, it, it didn't endure, but then perhaps the market wasn't ready. And if you think about you know, what's been the biggest change since then, it, it's technology, and, and that's shaping occupier needs and the speed with which occupiers need to work. So I think, you know, Landsec with Mayo is, is a very interesting move by them to, to break into this market. 
you're going to see all of the brokers are going to have some kind of offering that gives them exposure to this kind of flexible market. You know, sometimes I'm asked if we – I think the, the stats at the moment, depending on what you read, is the flexible sector is 4 5 6% of the traditional market right now. And people say, well, where do you think it's going to be in five years' time? And I find it a very difficult question to answer because I think the whole market is going to change. I don't think there's going to be a clear line between flexible sector and traditional that you can draw at 25%. I just think the line's going to be completely blurred. And so, you know, it's really interesting for us as a business because we're seeing new entrants, more competition come into this market, Landsec, other landlords will follow. Tishman and Sparrow are doing it, the Crown Estate, uh, Grosvenor are talking about it. So really traditional landlords are, are saying, okay, we need to have exposure to this. So that increases competition, but that's okay because if demand is increasing, that's not a bad thing. I think uh, the really interesting changes you're going to see in 2019 and into 2020 will be that actually many of the landlords who don't have the capacity or the resource to invest in this sector and set up their own brand will look to partner with an existing operator for participation in the upside. And I think the really interesting change now, and you can feel it in the market, it's very interesting, is that the operators are saying, yes, we want to do that as a route for growth. And the landlords are saying, yes, we want to do that as a route to accessing this this uh, market. And that the two are going to come together. And I think, you know, we, we TOG as a business, is, are putting together, you know, a formal launch of, of a partnership offer where we hope to partner with, with landlords and occupiers. And I think it's really exciting. Yes, you know, we still want to continue to buy freeholds where we can. Yes, we'll still take leases on the best buildings at the right rents. But we think that, you know, mixing the portfolio and having an element of managed partnership agreements which are akin to hotel agreements would be a really sensible platform for growth. And talking about blurred lines, Airbnb have just uh, announced that they bought this Danish uh, company which does business-based booking. So everybody's now talking about, um, you know, the operators moving across platforms. Do you see uh, the office group moving across to co-living or other sectors um i think co-living is really interesting we've we've looked at it we've done our homework on the sector i think it's in its infancy right now and nobody's quite cracked actually the model to make it work the premise of it is is kind of beautifully simple and mirrors very much our business model which is you know if people can uh if it delivers value for them take slightly less space provided that it's value and provided that they have shared spaces which are generous and, and, and the idea that you then use space outside of your small bed sit is, make, make, is, is a logical business model, provided that the generous space is attractive and beautiful and generous. I think for me where I haven't quite seen it work yet is it feels a bit too much like student accommodation uh, and therefore the, its target audience is quite narrow. I think it's young professionals and you know I think there is a model there that can work that targets a bigger audience but I don't think we're going to we've looked at it a number of times in some of our buildings do we do a couple of floors as a shared living concept but we always come back to sort of staying sticking to our guns. No it's interesting well things keep changing I mean you you've been in this sector effectively I mean for over 20 years you must have seen so much change Mm. and the change seems to be exponential now um you know from year to year it's difficult to predict where things are going to go what people are going to want and then you look at google with sidewalk labs and 
and you think you know what's really driving that development and how are they going to approach that without any traditional development developer knowledge and how's how's the tech that tech marrying with the traditional real estate approach is going to be is going to be fascinating and i think you know lots of learnings will come out of it from from both sides but you know we're seeing the importance of technology for us as a business is is truly significant and our greatest challenge i think is understanding where where what technology is right for us where are we investing that really will deliver a solution to making life a bit easier and solving an issue for us as opposed to well we need to invest in tech because everybody's investing in tech and we've got to jump on that bandwagon it's a it's hard and it's expensive and it changes so fast and it's interesting i think you've got about fifteen thousand members now across i think your... we're we're up to i think seventeen and a half thousand if we if we don't do any more buildings we'll be at twenty five thousand. okay mm. and you've mentioned the um collaboration word a few times which is one of my favorite hmm. words and i think a big part of the tog working experience is uh people networking the collaboration uh, encouraging people to do business together i mean do you see that happen in your buildings for us you know the community element to what we provide is 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 a benefit to being in our buildings we don't say to people come to us because of the community we're creating uh a place for business a place to, that you know is there it's your livelihood and you want to carry out your business and it's important and but we we orchestrate the community element because we think it, it's a you know really happy consequence of being in the building and the data that we're collecting now on, on how people are collaborating is fascinating you know to see that these companies are actually generating business just by being in the building now you can't be in we'll never say to you come to one of our buildings because you'll be able to generate a business that's not it but you you'll you'll win business you'll do business you'll carry out and you'll find people around you to support and help your business but it's not going to be the sole lifeblood of your business and i think that's an important distinction i also think that you know where we have the co-working in the buildings that is where it's it's most visible and as you start to see larger companies let space from us and 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 our competition it gets to a tipping point where they have their own community and they don't want to they're there for different reasons and they're not there to take advantage of the collaboration opportunities so that's a really interesting dynamic to see how that's changing so if you were rolling back to 2003 you were in your 20s um thinking about starting uh, your own business what would you, what would your advice be now to somebody at that age you know qualified as a surveyor thinking about what aspect of real estate to go into well, you know, I, I, I always think that when we set up TOG, we didn't look for something that was brand new. We didn't try and find something that nobody had ever done before. We looked at a model that worked. And, you know, the Regis model was a successful model. People wanted the flexibility. They wanted short-term office space. Now, it was inherently expensive, and, and therefore that dictated that it was short-term. But we just looked at that and said, well, we can do it differently, and we can do it better so that was our driver and i think i think that's sound advice for for somebody looking to go into business on their own and do their own thing a lot of people sort of are driven by money and then look for the opportunity the vehicle that's going to make them that money that didn't happen with us we and and, you know so i think if you can find the vehicle and in looking for that vehicle don't try and reinvent the wheel just 
take a wheel and just make it spin a bit more easily. That is, for me, you know, have the right focus, which is not money, and then look to do just just improve what already works. Has anybody been a role model? Is there anybody who sort of influenced the way that you've thought about how you go about running your business? Yeah, you know, I, I had a great uncle who gave me a maxim once that, that sort of stayed with me, which was, don't be clever, be wise. I had no idea what he meant for like a really <laughs> long time, but it sort of stayed with me. And then, and then you realise that is about, you don't have to win the deal for the deal's sake. You don't have to get one up on somebody. You can actually be smarter about it and being smarter is about i think you know not being greedy and clever is being greedy I, that's how i understood it um you know that stayed with me and he was telling me that when he was 95 years old and still going to the office you know ollie is a mentor in many ways it's a partnership which is extraordinary and you, you know we are like brothers and and it's a complement of skills that i think works very well i think it's a this business is, is operationally very intensive and I think it needs both of these our skill sets at the helm. So, you know, we I think we learn off each other tremendously. Um, you know, and Lloyd was you know was a, and remains a you know, a strong mentor for us as well. Guided us certainly in a really key period um for the business. Brilliant. And if you assuming you do get some time off, what how do you spend your your, your weekends when you're not working? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, work, work is intense. So, you know, it's it it's sort of a, if you're not actually at work, you're thinking about work. Um, I do still like to um, box. Uh, so I still do that, but it's getting a bit harder <laughs> and a bit more painful. Um, and my family has yeah, got young kids still, so they're 10 and 6, so that kind of takes up everything. But, you know, I love uh, passions at work. It's sort of just into your home life so, you know i love architecture and design and those are important things in my life so you go around looking at the buildings that take the... my kids to see all these buildings that they have no interest in whatsoever oh i'm sure they do sure they, <laughs> they do. will they will they will it's been brilliant hearing from a successful real estate entrepreneur who's been instrumental in disrupting the way we view workspace in this country so look out for the next chapter of the office group's journey that's it for now In the meantime, make sure to check out our Property She website at mishcon.com slash property she for all our interviews and program notes. The podcasts are also available to download on your Apple podcast app, and that's the purple button on your iPhone. Do continue to let me have your feedback and reviews, and most importantly, your suggestions for future guests. And of course, you can also follow me on Twitter at property she for a regular commentary on real estate, prop tech and the world with the occasional ponies thrown in for good luck. 